Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast, but you want a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Yee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Price of Blue. It is from the album Head of Roses, and that is by Flock of Dimes, a.k.a. Jen Wasner. And she is my guest today. And this is a really great conversation. But before I get into that, uh, just real quick, if you do like that song and you want to hear more, and I'm sure you know, she's also in White Oak and uh, Dungeness, and she plays with a bunch of other people like Boniver. She's uh, done a lot. Please go to the show notes and um, buy the album Head of Roses or anything else of hers. It's all in the show notes. You know I like to plug the purchasing of music and not the streaming of music because it's important to support our artists and see them live and give them money so they can eat, so they can continue to bring you music because they have to eat to be able to play the guitar, drums, and bass. Trumpet, I'm not so much, which I'm not so sure of. But that being said, this is a really great conversation. I I had a really fantastic time talking with Jen, and I, I really, like, not kidding, like, I learned, I grew. She's at times very profound, and it was also very fun. And uh, I have a lot of great conversations on this podcast, not to take away from it, but I really just felt really charged after her and I finished uh, our, our talk. And if you really like the conversation, you can become a Patreon support, supporter, and there's an extra 30, 40 minutes of us talking on... You just listen to the unedited version of us uh, having the best time ever. The best time in our lives, to be quite frank. Um, so, and... Uh, you could go to the mattdwyer.com or conversations with Dwyer and you can go to the listen portion and you could scroll through and you could see all my past guests because uh, Jen Wozner is on Sub Pop. I've had tons of Sub Pop people on my show. So peruse my library, check out some old episodes. There's going to be merch coming very soon on the website. So hopefully uh, you'll want to buy a shirt or a purse or a hat or a shoe. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but there's going to be a lot of uh, stuff up there. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, I just, I just, this, oh, I know what I wanted to say. The song that I, that played us in price of blue. I just love the guitar and I just felt I needed to say that because it's, uh, I don't know what it is about that. The sound of that guitar and that song, it's Jen playing, but it's just, it's, it's incredible. And I could listen to that song. If that song was a bed, I'd crawl into that bed slash song and just hang out for a while. And, in, and just enjoy the comfy sheets of that song. Uh, 
I probably should stay away from metaphors. That being said, let us get to the great conversation with Jen Wasner of Flock of Dimes in Wyoke. Sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, who who the fuck am I? Hey, it happens to the best of us, pal. Yeah. Are you there st- are times when I look at my life and I'm like, who the fuck am I? I'm a weird, lonely old spinster that nobody cares about. So, you know, <laughs> it kind of can, it's, it's sort of, you're going to, there's going to be moments like that, no matter what series of life choices you end up making. Sure. I wouldn't think of you as old. I'm going to take a stab in the dark that I'm older than you, but not that, that, what are we two? I feel, now I feel like a kid on the playground. Like I'm older and bigger. I'm 30, I'm 35. Oh, that's, I'm 52. You're, you got a lot of life yeah. going on. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I don't actually feel, I don't, I don't, I'm starting getting to a point in my life where I don't, I don't attach any sort of value judgment to the word as much as I think I used to. Um, like <clears throat> inherently, like thinking of the word old as being like inherently less than young is, let me tell you, not how I feel uh, <laughs> looking back as I have been doing on uh, the earlier decades of my life and being like, man, I'm pretty, I'm pretty thrilled to be older than I was. And I'm happier than I was and I'm healthier than I was. And I know myself better. It's great. I, I, I love, I'm loving it. I think it's kind of, I choose, I choose to believe that it's, that it's all uphill from here until I, my body starts falling apart. Yeah. I have some of those body things where I'm just like all week I've been like, man, I feel like somebody beat me with like a pillowcase full of potatoes. But well, you have kids. So did that happen? <laughs> is that, it is possible. I feel like uh, it is possible, but I felt like 35 was a very pivotal year. Like where I was like, okay, like my life, is not what I thought it would be, which is okay. But I was like, I, I got to start getting busy with some thing. Of course you were, mm. you were well mm. accomplished by 35. Um, well, thank you. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> always feel that way. I, it's all relative, right? Yeah. It's all, it's all very, very relative. And it's been interesting. And this is something I think about a lot, actually, as someone who sort of like inhabits a lot of different realms, you know? So like, for example, you know, last year before the pandemic hit, I had a couple of weeks of my life where I, I went and I was playing a basement show um, with a friend of mine playing bass, who I love, who I adore. <clears throat> her name's Madeline Kenny. I've produced some records for her and played in her band. And we played a show in a basement for like, you know, 25 people. And then the next week I was playing at the, you know, Golden State Warriors Arena with Bonnie there. <laughs> and like, and so like, I, I have this weird life and this weird career where I'm like, I bounce around from in a lot of different zones. Um, and so the whole, like, they all, even the, the concept of like being accomplished, it's sort of like, well, it sort of just depends on where you're looking and who you ask. And I like that a lot because it sort of forces me to consistently like anchor myself in my own and, and like might get that validation from within myself because there's always someone you could sort of compare yourself to unfavorably or favorably. Um, and at the end of the day, if, 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 if you're putting all of your stock in that, um, you're going to be adrift at some point. And so it's like a nice reminder to like get, try and get the validation from like, how do I feel about what I'm doing? Do I love it? Am I proud of it? Like, you know, am I happy? That kind of thing, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I feel like, uh, I allowed others to define what success meant 
for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. will really, that, I mean, it fucked my head big time. It'll get you no matter where you are on the spectrum of quote unquote success, it will get, it will get you <laughs> for sure. Um, it almost ate me up because I have friends yeah. who've like won Oscars like for writing. Yep. And I'm like, yeah. and I was living in a hovel being like, what happened? It's like nothing happened. People's lives are, you're presented different things throughout your life. And it, some yeah. people get presented golden opportunities. Well, and also I think it comes down to, for me, the understanding the difference between projection and experience. So this is one way I think being alive in the, um, you know, pandemic times of 2020 actually <clears throat> was a really important reminder because so much of my line of work in my career, and I think for a lot of people in a lot of professions um, of all different kinds, um, it's all about projection. It's all about like the way that you are perceived by others. If you are perceived by others as being a success, quote unquote success, then you yourself feel as though you are successful. But there's not as much emphasis placed on your actual physical, emotional, somatic like, experience of your life. And so like when people say that like it feels empty, that's I think that's what they mean. Even when you're successful, even when you're succeeding, even when you're succeeding at projecting the illusion of yourself that you would like others to see. Um, it's empty. And what is that? And, and it's because there's, I think it's just like people are very disconnected from their actual experiences of their lives. And so like, you know, in 2020, I, I went from like feeling like my career was finally like all the pieces were kind of clicking into place. And like, I was really proud of my own music and I had this other job that was like making me feel like more financially stable and secure and also validated like, Oh, I can do this. Like people will hire me. Um, and it just vanished essentially overnight. And, you know, first it was absolutely miserable, but then, you know, I just found myself sinking into the minutia of the day and like my routine and just sort of being like, oh, it's, it's really nice. It feels good to like lay outside in the summer and like listen to the birds and feel the sun on my body. Or like, it feels good to like take a long time to cook myself a really good meal and then eat it. And like, none of that is public facing, you know, it's all just has to do with like my experience of my life, but I've gained so much more happiness and satisfaction having incorporated an awareness of that, the significance of that than I ever had when I was just sort of like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look what I've done, look what I'm doing. Like, um, so, you know, it's like, it's, I think you have to sort of understand that there's a, to a, at a certain point, it's about like living your life, not like the illusion of living your life. <laughs> yeah. Do you know when you were living in that realm of sort of like, look at me, look at me, do you know what that was there that stemming from anything specific is that too vague of a question? I don't know. Well, like, I mean, it's what it's what we're all asked to do. I think as musicians and and artists, you know, I say again, with, I'm finger quoting uh, all the time. Everything I say, <laughs> I'm finger quoting for the for the podcast listener who can't see me. A lot of finger quotes getting thrown around. Um, but you know, as an artist um, in the cursed year of 2021, it's like it's pretty much all, all about projecting out, outward. Um, and, and begging people for their attention and trying to get as many eyes on you as possible because 
you know, competition is just fierce. And so much of what it means to be successful and visible in this moment has to do with, um, with it being successfully cultivating like a certain image and, and getting as many eyes on that image as possible and then maintaining it, which is hard because <clears throat> I think my, I, I'm actually sort of a relatively private person. I don't like, um, I'm, I have no desire to share every waking moment of my life with anyone, much less a bunch of strangers. <laughs> I would prefer to have the things that I make, uh, speak the way that I speak right. to the world. And, um, and yeah, I don't know. And so I don't really, I don't really thrive in that environment. It feels forced. And yet it's like an evil that I feel like I can't necessarily entirely escape. Yeah. I, I've just been like sort of analyzing that about myself and just the world around us. Cause everything is sort of performative these days, social media, et cetera. Like, and I'm like, are we, and we're, I watch, see it with my five-year-old, like people are being socialized to sort of be performative. And mm-hmm. my daughter fake video blogs and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just like, this is not good. And it's like, I don't, she's not necessarily getting it from us. I don't know, but it's just weird. Like we're sort of mm-hmm. being cultivated to present ourselves in an unrealistic manner repeatedly. And it's like, talk about yeah. like humans living in suffering. That's or quiet oh, desperation. Yeah. That's like, uh-huh. really, yeah. man, the Buddha would be like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's a bad scene. It's a bad scene. Did you watch the new, the new John Lurie show, the painting with John show that just I came produced out? that show. You did? Yes. Get the fuck out. That's so cool. It's great. I was just going to reference, I think I've been, th- I think all the time of the part where he's talking about how it, the better he gets at talking to the camera, the shittier person he feels like he's becoming. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Yeah. I hit that. He, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but he did the podcast and he sent me the clips of the show and he hadn't sold it. And I thought he, I thought he was just coming on to, to like promote it. And so I, I am old friends with Adam McKay, who's that Oscar winner I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Hey, can I send it to Adam? Because I think he will love this. And like Adam turned around and sold it like a month later because yeah he's Adam McKay. <laughs> it's like he wow! Do- I mean, I swear to God, I did not know that at all. I just it was it's something that I think about often when this sort of thing comes up. You know, where you're talking about your daughter like video, fake video blogging, like that thing that we're seeing more and more people become. And it's weird because I can't do. I cannot. I quite literally cannot bring myself to do it. Every time I try and Lord knows I've tried and people have really tried to get me to do it. I'm doing the thing of like, Hey guys, like, what's up? It's me. I just cannot do it. I can't do it. And it's not good. It's not good for my career. It doesn't bode well on a number of levels, but I just cannot fucking bring myself to do it. And so when you see younger people, younger, younger people just being like, Oh, this is the way you're a person in the world. Like this is just like normalcy. Um, it's really, it's really wild because I do think it kind of like goes back to what I'm saying of like, uh, overemphasizing projection of self rather than experience of self, which is a poison. It's a poison in, in, on so many levels and, and it's a poison in our relationships and the way that we connect to each other, which of course, like that's a shit show too, you know? <laughs> so it's like, 
yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel that way too. Cause people are like, got to get on TikTok. You got to promote your podcast and TikTok. And it's just like, I, I feel like not just physically like drained by it, but it's just like any, like my spiritual, my essence as a human, yeah. it's just like, and I'm like, where do you draw the fucking line with this bullshit? And I'm like, yeah. I don't well, think yeah. TikTok people really are going to be into my audience, like my, the people I have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's like, I think there's like, uh, it's funny with TikTok because I have so many people I, I really love and respect who are like into it. Like that's sort of their social media of choice. I think precisely because it doesn't seem to be for a lot of people, it's just about passively consuming rather than like promoting um, yeah. or like making, it's actual like making weird things in the way that people imagined the internet would be initially. And then it sort of got co-opted um, and turned into a giant advertisement. And um, there's that energy there. And I know that that's true. And it's so it's, and there's so much there and it's so vast, but I just kind of hit my limit. Like I, and God, I mean, I have enough distractions as it is. I barely have time in my life as it stands to carve, you know, to like sit with myself and listen to my thoughts, which is like, how else am I going to ever write or create anything ever again? If I cannot carve out a quiet moment to be with myself and like, like <clears throat> feel my feelings, think my thoughts, write them down. You know, like if you, I, mean, I think for a long time, I didn't realize the extent to which I was feeling every single waking minute with something of that nature and, and then feeling like there was this, like there was this small animal trying to claw its way out of my chest. And really what that was, was like my neglected creative impulse or like my neglected inner self where it's just like, Hey, stop, stop using all these distractions to prevent yourself from like looking at the thing you actually want to see and doing the thing you actually want to do. Like, um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of like, like the way I was spending my time wasn't necessarily uh, indicative of my values and priorities. Do you find that work sometimes is a distraction? Because you seem like busy. Like, it's like I look at your stuff and I'm like, Jesus, does this person sit still? <laughs> um, well, it's interesting because I think it's evolving. I do think, so I think I... Um, workaholism was my drug of choice for quite some time. Um, it was sort of, I, you know, I come from a kind of complicated familial background. Um, and I basically just sort of like responded to that by overachieving my way out of that situation. And that was a kind of a tornado of activity and accomplishment that never really ended or stopped. So I was definitely one of those people that like couldn't rest. Like I didn't know how to rest. I didn't know how to like turn off um, or it was, it was complicated. It would require sort of burning myself out before I could, because then I felt like I could, I was allowed to rest without feeling guilty. Um, and that my relationship to that, um, is, is changing pretty rapidly in real time, specifically because of the wall that I hit during the pandemic. Um, and the way that I was sort of forced, like there was no way I could engage with workaholism in the same way. And granted, like I still made a record that I'm really proud of, but like I had a lot of time on my hands and the things that I would typically use to fill that time 
i.e. touring or being around people or they were all, none of those things were available to me. And so, you know, it kind of opened some doors of awareness that were somewhat painful to open. Um, but yeah. And so my relationship to like workaholism just in general is, is evolving pretty rapidly. And what that has meant is that I'm having to make some changes, like real changes to my life and career, because I have no desire to go back to living that way. And yet I, I love everything I do. And I love having a diverse ecosystem of like projects and playing a lot of different roles and a lot of different bands. And like, I love producing for other people. I love making my own records. So it's like, it's still kind of a work in progress, figuring out how I can fit all those pieces together and not fall back into the same routine that was that was actually really destructive and that it kind of was really no, no way to live a life. Yeah. It, it seems like in a lot of ways that the pandemic has been for a lot of the people I've talked to have been a strange gift because to be forced to sit still and repri- reprioritize. I don't know what, that was yeah. a real tough one to get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my Midwestern Chicago education. Just really slapping me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> were you, tr- were you trying to sort of work your way? Cause I know I, and I, if you don't want to go into these things, but cause I saw that you had, you said that you had a traumatic, uh, sort of upbringing, which mm-hmm. I can relate to. So, <laughs> and yeah. I sort of was, I was, going towards theater as a kid and that was sort of my escape were you deliberately or trying to get away from that world I mean yes but also no because it's, it's complicated because you know my I'm close with my family I love my family um I love them very dearly um and in some ways it's tough to talk about because it's you know it's sort of like not really my story to tell but um and I have wonderful supportive parents but you know um <clears throat> my my brother um, has struggled with, um, addiction and mental illness. And, you know, when there's like an addictive cycle in a family of origin, um, it creates some, it creates a dynamic that different people respond to in different ways. Um, and so like it, it's complicated because like the question becomes then like, how do I escape the traumatic cycle without escaping the people that I love? Um, and so, you know, it was never really a question for me of like, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to leave my family behind. I'm trying to, uh, grow into the person that I need to be, to be like happy and healthy, um, and figure out how to be in relationship with them in a way that is supportive and loving, but that is not, um, perpetuating these, these traumatic cycles within myself, you know, so it's like, it's a, it's tricky. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot of, you know, I've done a lot of reading around like how different people respond to, um, you know, that, that dynamic and like dealing with addiction in a household and like, you know, the overachieving, you know, that's sort of like, Oh, I'll just be, I'll just work really hard and I'll never cause trouble and I'll be the best at everything. And like, um, I think is, is sort of the path that I took. And, um, and also I think I'm just naturally, um, an ambitious person. And I think I'm naturally a creative person and I have always felt 
uh, compelled to create things and share them with others and connect in that way with others in the world. And so it's a combination of like that and, and also sort of knowing like, you know, a lot of people in my sphere, uh, certainly a lot of people in the creative sphere, you know, are working with different levels of generational wealth and support that I just didn't necessarily have. So there was always this feeling of like, oh, I have to take care of myself. And if I want to be a musician or an artist, that's a really tough field to, to make that happen. And so if I'm going to do that, then I really have to, I got to earn it. Like I got to work. And and also, I think it was, a, it was a tremendous act of faith to, you know, to just sort of be like, well, I'm going to give this a try. And if it doesn't work out, I'm sure I'll figure out something else. Whereas I think now, in many ways, like my youthful brain, like the naive parts of my brain were working with me rather than against me at that point. Because I think I was just able to be like, sure, of course I'm going <laughs> to drop out of college and be a touring musician. What could possibly go wrong? Um, whereas now I feel like I'd, I'd overthink it in a million different ways, um, if I were making the same choice. So yeah, I don't know. I got, I mean, I worked hard, but I also, I got lucky, you know? Yeah. God, thank God for that. Cause I was the same way. I was like, yeah, I'm fucking great. And I was like, I had nothing to back that up. <laughs> but I was like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, boy, was that a, and what did you do? What did, what did you forgive me? Um, I'm not familiar. Like what, oh, what okay. was the trajectory for you? Uh, I, I got in, at, in high school, I started hanging around the second city. Do you know what that is? This theater in Chicago. I do. And, I, do. Uh, I do. Yes. I would go so often at 16 that the staff started recognizing me. And so they started letting me into the shows and then they let, started letting me hang around the parties. And then like as a teenager, I was going to fucking nightclubs and drinking yeah. and doing drugs. Yeah. And like, yeah, I did that too. That's cool. Yeah, yeah you were touring in high school, weren't you? Yeah, well, not quite, but almost, yeah. I definitely was playing shows in some pretty sketchy locations. It's um, pretty... I, I start, and I, oh, yeah. did you know as a... So I, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> did you know as a teenager, though, that like you're in those... Because I kind of was thankfully aware that I was like, I'm in the midst of something magical. And I was surrounded with like people who went on to, to become like legendary. Like Mike Myers was around and Chris Farley was around mm-hmm. and I was a kid. But we all That's knew wild. who they were going to be. Like it was just like Farley was like, oh, yeah, undoubtedly going to be. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. What an incredible thing to, to be to witness and be a part of. That's amazing. I was thankful that I didn't, I did think I was good, but I didn't, I knew that around those people and like, and there was also, there was other musicians and artists around. So, but I was like smart enough too to be like, shut up and listen and learn. Cause it's like, cause you like, cause I like, I learned about literature and all these other things by listening to these people talk. And it was like an education you couldn't fucking pay for. And isn't that the, I mean, I don't know, as, as a people person and more, more ways than one, uh, isn't that the best way to learn? I mean, I just feel like I, I, I sometimes have, um, some shame or some qualms about having never graduated college. Me too. But, but like, God, just to, to really learn and absorb so much of, there's so much more richness and depth, I think, to like learning about life in that way, like through relating to others. And maybe that's just me. 
and because that's, I'm a relational person in that way, but I just feel like that's the way that I learn and it actually like resonates with me. I was bored in school. Like I just like, I could go and go to my philosophy class and listen to some guy with a monotone droll talk about, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I could hang out in a bar with all these people who were talking about fascinating books and granted, you know, the bar aspect as a teenager might not be the, (laughs) you've turned out fine. You're fine. fine. You quit drinking. You're great. Yeah. It only took a few decades, but, but were you, (laughs) was that similar? Like, were you in these sort of, and were people taking you under their wing and sort of guiding you through this sort of mayhem that was Baltimore of all places, a great city. Yeah. It was, I was going to say like, that was <clears throat> that what you're talking about kind of reminds me of the Baltimore music scene that I was loosely a part of, you know, I was, I was young and stupid and, and inexperienced and pretty uncool um, <laughs> to be frank. Um, but, you know, I remember, uh, you know, I worked, I, I got a job at a restaurant in Baltimore called the Golden West Cafe. It was sort of like where all the bands and artists worked. And I met some people who are, you know, still some of my closest friends and most important people in my life doing that job. Um, and I saw, I mean, and I can't even, like, there's so many weird coincidences, like, you know, like, before, you know, I'm one of my dear friends is, um, is a, a songwriter, a musician named Sharon Van Etten, and, and she's obviously gone on to have like a lot of success. And But I met her because, you know, she was playing at the Golden West Cafe and I'd worked that night and I was like tired and dirty and wanted to go home. But I, I was walking out the door and then she started singing and I was just like, oh, shit. Um, you know, or like, but it wasn't so it was like it was just this weird magnet. And then, you know there were all sorts of bands in Baltimore that, um, you know, went on to do things outside of the Baltimore music scene, you know, like the, there's like all the obvious you know, beach house and future islands and Dan Deacon and all that stuff. And I love all those people and I love all that music. Um, but then I would say that like the things that really stuck with me and, and I think the places I, I learned the most often were, you know, some of the more off the beaten path, like under the radar kind of, musicians that were making things in that town um now the flip side of that that's a little bit complicated for me is that and and, and it was like hugely hugely transformative and I learned so much and I grew so much as a person and as an artist but I think having grown up in Baltimore which is you know not the case for the vast majority of people in that scene I had a very different relationship to the place and also as can happen in a lot of, um, uh, like Baltimore had a very like insular us versus them kind of energy to it, which I, I think is really cool. Like to sort of be like, we don't give a fuck about what the rest of the world thinks. And we are making music for each other. And we are, we are like ingrained in this community together. We're like building something we believe in together. I love that. But the flip side of that is sort of like, there was an, I think an, an ingrained sort of suspicion of people that went on to have, to see some success outside of that very small community. And so I always sort of felt both like in and out in that world where I was like, I was a part of it, but I wasn't really a part of it. Or like I had my, I just had my foot in two different worlds in this way that I never really felt fully at home. Um, 
And there was also the part of me that was like, I've never lived anywhere else and I probably should. Um, and then also like, I should see, I should just see who I am and what my life feels like when I'm not living with the, the sort of constant burden of memory that comes from living in the place you grew up. Um, so I don't know. It was like, I have a complicated relationship to it. I, it absolutely made me who I am. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And also there came a time when it was time to go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I felt that way about Chicago and there's that, and I look back at people and not in like, I just, I'm like, I, do, I can't imagine who I'd be if I would have stayed. I'd know I'd be about mm-hmm. 50 pounds heavier because it's Chicago. No, <laughs> ah, ooh, sick burn. Um, <laughs> I just, love I mean, it. It's just such an unhealthy, like yeah. it's like a salad ooh. there still has like cheese and pork. and It's got mayonnaise on it or some shit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You don't, it, heart disease and Chicagoan are like synonymous. And also it's like, you know, it's cold in the winter, so you're not doing a whole lot of you know, walking around, no, getting out in the world. It's intense. When did you, when did you split, uh, Baltimore? I've been in North Carolina since 2015. How do you, uh, man, I, a lot of people seem to be headed to North Carolina these days. It's crazy. I know it sucks. They're all (laughs) buying all the houses. I can't afford a house. It sucks. Um, no, it's cool. Um, I love it here. Um, I had always, thought that I would be a city person. Um, I, I always, I think I sort of, this is another one of those projection versus reality things. I really like the idea of myself as a city person, I think is what I mean to say. Um, and I think it wasn't until I moved to a place that was a bit quieter and more, um, I don't live in the country by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm relatively close to Durham, which is like a, a small city um, within striking distance of Raleigh, which is a city, but you know, um, the place where I actually live is, is, is smaller, quieter. And there's a lot of nature and it's like, there's access to like, a, a, just a sort of more like rural lifestyle. And, um, I think that I initially had a lot of shame around that. Like, I really thought that that was sort of like, Oh, you're just like putting yourself out to pasture and like, you're not in the mix and you're not like doing all the cool stuff with all the cool people. And, but in reality, my lifestyle is such that I, on a a typical year, a normal non COVID year, I generally visit every major city in America at least once a year, if not twice, you know, I am out in the world doing things. And when I come home, it feels good to come home to a place that is, is peaceful and where I feel at ease. And I, I feel like I'm not constantly in this like sort of world of this transactional sort of performative space. Um, you know, I went to LA recently for a couple of weeks, which I, I mean, I love, I love LA. I love going there. I love so many people there. I love feeling like I'm in the heart of things. And I I'm always, I always have a really beautiful, creative, inspiring, and like intoxicating time there. And so I've thought about moving to LA like many, many times in my life, but it always hits a point for me where I'm like, yeah, it's like, who would I be if I did that? And like, what would it mean if that, that crazy intoxicating feeling became my normal? I suspect that it would probably not work as well 
And I also suspect that I, like, I, I don't, I want to, I want to maintain some sort of grip on reality. The reality that is the reality of the vast majority of people who are not, you know, hanging out in fancy recording studios in Hollywood, California. You know, it's like, I, I just feel like that's an important, that's important for me for some reason. Not to judge anyone who does that. It's just sort of, for me, I just sort of feel like it's, it's important that I don't fully immerse myself in that, but I have some separation from it so that I can continue to hang on to some awareness of who I am as a person outside of that identity. Yeah. LA. I mean, I lived in LA for 16 years and then the last four years I've lived outside of it in a small city and it's mentally vastly different for me. What's the city? <laughs> Monrovia. If you look on your mm-hmm. jar of Trader Joe's salsa, that will, Monrovia will be on there. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I, why do I know that? Why yeah, do I know that everyone word? says that. They're like, oh, I know that city. It's like, yeah, because Trader Joe's. But, yeah, that's uh, it. <laughs> but it's like a quaint little town near the foothills. And it's like, you know, it's got a little downtown. But it's like, I don't overhear anyone talking about their auditions. And I don't worry if my shoes are cool enough, which I was my thing. That was my insecurity. But it, it happens in L.A. where you're like, oh, fuck, man. I don't, I don't I'm just the old weird guy now. I mean, it's not just your thing is the thing. Like it is your, it is. And in some ways, and it is in other ways, when you are immersed in that, you know, it's very human to sort of sponge up um, whatever values you're observing in the, in the community that you're immersed in. And if the values are uh, attractiveness, credibility, cool clothes, success and money, then you're going to, whether you like, in your heart of hearts, agree with those values or not, you're going to feel the difference between you and the people around you, which is going to feel like friction, you know, and like that friction is uncomfortable. It's nice to not experience that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I'm trying to strip that sort of stuff off of my being, so that was not well articulated, but like sort of in the Buddhist sense of like, (laughs) you know, I'm trying to get to the, you know, because I feel like when you, when I, where I grew up in a very, a traumatic and violent home, I put on a lot of layers as a form of protection. And I'm like, so who, mm-hmm. what are those layers and what is actually me? What have I been doing exactly. to protect myself for all these years? And, and I don't need that anymore, but I still find myself being presentational sometimes. And I'm like, Ooh, that's gross. Well, some people think that that's what personality is. Um, like as in is like with the layers that you speak of, you know, like our, the coping mechanisms that you learn in a, in a very young and formative state that becomes so ingrained that you, as you um, mistake them for your essence when they are your, like actually your coping mechanisms, yeah. like even like, like people like the, the sort of myth that has some truth to it of just like, if you're funny, you know, you probably are in a lot of pain or like we're in a lot of pain at some point because you developed a sense of humor as a coping mechanism to deal with something that was difficult or painful and that's not the only way that someone becomes funny obviously but right. like there is some truth to it but then at a certain point you know you become attached to that as like well i am i am this i am funny i yeah. am this way i am anxious i am whatever it is and it's like yeah i think that there's a lot of empowering like there's, there's a really um it's encouraging and empowering to think of those things as traits um that you can contend with and potentially even shift and move and change if you decide that you would like to. 
Um, yeah. I just, there's so many things societally where I'm just like, why, why, why do we do these things? Cause somebody, somebody was like, Oh, <laughs> somebody made these rules. And I'm like, why? And why are we still adhering to this bullshit? Yeah. Well, it's because we're creatures of habit and we're all too afraid to rock the boat. True. I mean, it's all fucked. I mean, it is all <laughs> fucked. It is so fucked. It's beyond belief how fucked it is. And it's like, it's why it's difficult to contend with, you know, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Cause I've, you know, I've, I've done some reading this year and some research this year more than I ever had before on, on trauma specifically. And <clears throat> I read this beautiful book this year, um, by this guy, Resma Menachem, which is called my grandmother's hands. And it's about, um, trauma specifically uh, oriented to like racism and like racialized trauma. Um, and that was where I learned about this concept of, um, uh, clean pain versus dirty pain. And so clean pain as, as Resma describes it is like when you, when something is painful and you, you face it and you process it and you move through it and dirty pain is when you repress it and you avoid it and you squish it down. And that's generally when, you know, the whole, the whole catchphrase hurt people, hurt people starts to come into play where it's like you squish it down and then it generally finds, you find a way to blow it through someone else, whether by like an act of violence or whatever it is. So it's like, there's only, those are the only two options when it comes to experiencing trauma, you process it or you you hand it on to someone else. Um, and it self perpetuates. Um, but the reason I thought of that, you know, is sort of like, I've been thinking a lot in regards to like, like a lot of the choices that we make, I think culturally, politically, societally half are basically just manifestations of dirty pain, which is like, it sucks to be like, wow, our entire civilization is broken. It is founded on like the backbone of the suffering of minorities. It is, it is like our whole country is like exists because of a genocide, like systemic racism persists and every level of our society to this day, like that's painful. Like, like the things about our, like these are painful truths. So it sort of stands to reason that the vast majority of people are going to be like, not looking over there. I'm going with the dirty pain option of being like hand on the heart, like God, you know, God bless him. I mean, like, whatever. It's like, it's like, I'm just going to believe that I'm going to believe in the fantasy that's less painful than the reality that is painful. Yeah. Um, and it, and it makes sense. It's so human, but the sad truth of it is that like choosing that route of avoidance only causes more pain, more and more pain. The only way out is by choosing to face it and process it. But that requires going against that in that lizard brain instinct of like, don't, don't go there, you know? So it's just like, it's just like cultivating that consciousness of like, yes, it's painful. And also it's the only way through this towards something that is just not perpetuating the same systems of harm over and over and over again. Yeah. That was a long, I was a long, sorry. <laughs> no, I was, I was into it because yeah. it's been Ooh. something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And a lot of my friends, uh, I think, and maybe it's age or whatever, are in this sort of moment of, you know, what the fuck have I spent my life pursuing and what, it, you know, cause I feel like career wise, I definitely was like, okay, I worked at second city. So now it's like, I get this kind of job and this kind of job and, you know, and follow the path that everyone else who came out of that place followed. 
And I, at some point, hit a road where I was like, I'm not happy. And this isn't fun anymore. And I got into this because it's fun and I want to create and work with people that excite me. And that then it becomes like, fucking network TV bullshit. <laughs> like, and I'm like, none of this yeah. is, none of this is like, it's painful and I don't want to be in yeah. pain. I want to be happy yeah. and I would rather be broke and happy than live in, well, I wouldn't live in Beverly Hills, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. No. Well, because it's like, what is, I was just talking about this yeah, the other day, but like, like, what's your concept of wealth? Like what, what is wealth? Is it just capital accruing capital and like physical and creature comforts? Or is it that kind of like sense of peace and satisfaction and love and connection? And like, man, it's just not even close. You know, I know some folks with money and (laughs) as I'm sure you do too. And I know some people who are dirt poor and like, there's no rhyme or reason to, um, which of those people are satisfied and which of those people are suffering. Um, it's neither here nor there. And in many ways it can be a real distraction to like, yeah, like cultivating that sort of like presence and that like experience of like actually being, being home to like love your life and like feel good in your body and like connect with other human beings, which is like why we're here, you know? Yeah, I think one of the main things I've worked for in the last is to have just time. Like, I don't want to work for some fucking asshole. I don't want to be beholden to anybody. Like, I that's the goal. Like, I'm like, and I don't understand the concept of people who are like, uh, more, I got to have more. That's not enough money. That's not enough. And I'm like, what? Like, that's addiction too. Like, uh, capitalism yeah. and greed are two addictions I feel like we've somehow been like, those ones are okay. And they're more... Dis- it's a sickness. It's a terrible, terrible sickness. Like, how can you... Like, I think about Jeff Bezos. Off, and I'm just like, how the... Like, how do you sleep at night knowing you could solve so many of the world's problems by not being a greedy fuck? The creepiest motherfucker on the planet of Earth right there. I oh. mean, straight up. I, yeah. When I see the man's face, I'm like, it is like... <laughs> it's like looking straight into the eyes of the devil himself. Like, it is fucked I could, fucked. I just like to have, and it's interesting that his ex-wife is just giving gobs of money away, which I'm like, which you should, like you should, which it shouldn't be. Absolutely re- should. <laughs> and you're still going to be fucking fine forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just at a certain point, it, it just shows how completely cut off we can become to our own humanity. And to the humanity of ourselves and to what is actually beautiful of, of other people and like what is actually beautiful about the world, you know, and that's, it's, it's sick and it's, it turns my stomach, but it's also like, it's so it's so easy to see where that comes from, you know, cause like that's the myth that we, we've been fed from the jump. And yeah. if you just go all in on it and you're, and you're like quote unquote winning at it, and you're just, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, it, it's like you're saying, it's like, it's the things we've said, We've decided collectively, no, these are good. This is what we, this is what a person should do. Um, But it's a fucking nightmare. And and it's just, it it boggles the mind that anyone can look at that and be like, that guy's, that guy's great. Good for him. He's a, he's a real winner. Yeah. There's definitely, I would like to have, because we were fucking broke for like a few years, like really struggling. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the painting with John thing happened. So it was like, I got a little bit of a, for the first time in my entire life, I have a, like a cushion. 
Not nothing yeah. like I'm not buying a fucking house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like that But like a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that ease of like being able to go, oh, okay, so if something happens to the car, okay, I can handle it. <laughs> like it's just, like that kind I of know. small thing is a mentally is a huge difference. Like just yeah. the, the amount of stress my body and mind feels day to day is different. Of course there's the, and the f- Oh, I was just gonna the say fact that, that yeah. You are, sorry, go on. I'm oh, I was just yeah. gonna say that wheel is always back here going like, well, that money's gonna run out and you gotta fucking get something else. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, but that's true and it sucks because it's like not the world that I wanna live in. And it's the world that we do live in. And it is I think it's fucking criminal that like I think that that is the way that people all people should be able to live their lives, not constantly fearing that the slightest thing could go wrong and send them into complete and utter ruin. I mean, it is staggering to me that we accept that as the norm. It's insane to me. It's just beyond belief. And it's so sad. And it just goes to show how, how much we've been duped by, you know, the, the lies that we fed about what, what work is and what it's for and what, and, and, and how much we are worth and how much our time is worth and our, you know, it's just it's just a horrible poisonous poisonous lie that we've been handed down that keeps people in great suffering and it's I do feel like more and more people are kind of beginning to wake up to it but only in many ways only because things are getting so bad you yeah. know and like I have to contend with the reality that like I mean <clears throat> again I, I had an interesting experience of like I grew up very poor and my parents still struggle and they still work harder than anyone I know and they still have basically nothing. And also I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to like when in middle school and in high school, like the richest boarding school in the state of Maryland. So I went to school with um, some of the richest kids you'll ever see. Um, And it was interesting because it actually kind of, I think it sort of prevented me from developing a chip on my shoulder about money. Like a lot of people in my family, um, my extended family maybe, or just people that you meet um, might have because in some ways being exposed to people with access to wealth and privilege, it's sort of like, I don't know, they become real people and, and not just these sort of like specters of greed. Um, and so it's sort of like, Oh, I'm, I'm, some of these people are my dear friends who I love and adore and they didn't choose to be born into this anymore than I chose to be born into the situation I was born into. And so it's cool because I feel like I'm, I'm really glad to move through the world in that way. Um, where I'm not, uh, where I can sort of see people for who they are and not necessarily judge them for what they have. But at the same time, it's tough to be in a situation where, you know, I don't have access to generational wealth and to the contrary, like I'll probably have to figure out how to take care of my parents someday. And I'm a musician, you know, I'm like, I'm getting by and I'm very, and I'm lucky. You know, I'm like, I'm like one of the lucky ones when it comes down to like pull it, making this thing work, this career work. And I've hustled for it. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, it is, I just, it just is so sad to think like how, wildly impossible it is for the vast majority of people in this country and in this world to just get any kind of a leg up, any kind of opportunity to like, to actually like, like the, the system is just set up to keep them in, in poverty. It is not, 
Yeah. But there's the mobility is, is a myth and it is a lie. And it's really just, it's hard to think about it and not get so angry. Yeah. Howard Zinn talked about that. And he's like, my, my, my dad worked hard his entire life and he never got rich. So that's not true. Yeah. And then there was, I was listening to a piece about, there was the classes at Morehouse, Morehouse University. Oh yeah. Sure. Where that they, they, the student loan got forgiven or somebody rich paid it off for an entire class, graduating class. And they were talking to the people of how not having that student loan debt drastically changed their lives. People were able to invest. People bought homes Mm -hmm. all because they weren't weighed down by that's another reason I'm glad I dropped out of college. I don't have fucking yeah. stuff. Neither do I. Hey. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> Thank Christ. And oh. ultimately, I'm like, I don't know. Is that not to call education, but it's like it's become such a nightmare. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't. Like, I probably learned the majority of things I would have. Like, would my have path changed that much? Because, you know, I, I would be able to substitute teach high school because I would have a degree. That would be like I'd have a side job that wasn't yeah. bartending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And at a certain point, is that worth hundreds of thousands of dollars? Probably not. No. You know, it's I think that was my thing, too, where I was like I was, you know, I've always kind of music has been my my passion and like the center of my world since I can remember. But when I was in school, I was an English major, you know, and I. And that's like another passion of mine for sure. And like, I, I think I would have really enjoyed that. I think I would have really enjoyed getting an education and reading and writing and learning and talking to smart people. But at a certain point, like, you know, I was, I had to kind of be real with myself and be like, yeah, that'd be fun. But, but what is that? What is that going to cost? And, and what can I do with that? And like, you know, it didn't, it, even then when I was young, I was just sort of like, it's not going to be worth it. Like, and I, it's not like I was going to med school, you know, like in that case, it's sort of different, I guess. Um, if you're learning a skill or a trade, it's different, kind of a different thing. But for me, I was just like, yeah, okay. So I'm going to take on all this debt to be an English major. And then what, you know, it's just like, I'll read books at home and talk about them with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do for free? You know, Go and to- it sucks because that's not the way it should be. If you want to get an education and have that experience, it should be fucking free. Uh, yeah. It's just insane. It's insane. All of that. Like the fact that fucking healthcare is still a mm. fucking problem infuriates mm. me. It's whole, the whole thing's It's fucked beyond belief. Um, and it's the world we live in. I know. I would. Would you go to another country? Has that crossed your your brain? Ah, man. <laughs> I mean, of course, it would cross my brain, but I just don't think that. I don't think you can run from these things. Yeah, I'm sure. Because um, I think of like, I'm like, man, Dublin would be awesome, but I'm like, I'm sure there's bullshit there. Like tons of bullshit everywhere. There's bullshit everywhere, but I think maybe not to the extent that there is bullshit here. But at the same time, if I'm being totally honest, I fucking love this broken place it is is the thing i love it it's my home you know i spent my entire the last you know 20 years of my life driving circles around this place yeah i've i love i love it here and it's home and like this is where my this is where my people are you know it's beautiful it's it's vast and i don't know i just feel like i I'm, I'm tempted to use 
the trauma metaphor, you know, like is my love of America, like trauma bonding essentially. <laughs> Wild. Um, but like, I'm trying to think about it. And I'm like, you know, if you, if you put it in the context of like a toxic relationship that you can't leave, like, <laughs> it's a little different. Uh, I don't know. I like, I know what, I know what advice I would give. I know what advice I would give in one situation, but in this situation, I'm like, nah, man, this is home. I'm staying right here. Fuck me up. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know. I think I would, I think I'm going to, I think I'm here, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I love... think I'm here for the long haul and I think I'm going to try and make it better to the best of my ability. And, you know, I'll cross that bridge if I have to come to it. It's also not really an option for me. No other country will have me, you know, yeah. and I don't really want to get married. So I'm not going to, I wouldn't be willing to find like a, do like a, a arranged marriage situation. It's just not, it's not in the cards for me and that's fine. Yeah. I know like Ireland is very friendly to artists. I think they don't pay taxes, which is just crazy to me. Like then, mm-hmm. which is also, it's like, I talked, like I've talked to a number of Canadian artists and the amount of people, uh, the amount of them who can get grants and stuff to focus, like put out a fucking yeah. album. I know. I'm like, thank you for saying that because I have, I've had some hangups about that myself. And again, like music is not a competition. Um, art is not, is not a contest. Um, but it's easy to be like truly all, like some of my favorite records uh, of the past year have come out of, come from Canadian artists and then you see that little thing at the bottom it's like this this album was was in part funded by this you know the Canadian government and and that's amazing and like I wish it was like that everywhere but I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a part of me that was just like yeah that's right (laughs) I could do that I could do that (laughs) I could do that if I had money from the Canadian government Uh, which is not entirely true but um who are some of the Canadian artists? I've had a lot of Canadians on my show. It's kind of, it's like something's going on up there. There's like a lot of really, really great music coming out. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I am absolutely, uh, I deeply, deeply admire and, and truly am in love with um, uh, the Weather Station record, Ignorance. Oh, I, I, don't, I, I know of them, but I have the, the classic hipster yeah. phrase. Oh, I know of them. <laughs> she's great. She's amazing. She's, she's very, very, very smart. And, and the record is in many, I mean, it's a lot of, about a lot of things because it's not, nothing is just about one thing, but, um, but it, it's sort of framed in, uh, in the context of, of talking about climate change and all the systems that, uh, that are in place to continue to drive us towards destruction wow. of the planet. And it's a beautiful record. And it's, you know, one of those records that you could, you could listen to in that context. And you could also listen to it and hear it as a breakup record. You know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of work, piece of music and everything about it is beautiful. The videos are amazing. It's just the way that it's conceived is amazing. The way that it's been presented is, is, is fantastic. She's a, she's a real talent. I think she's one of the best lyricists uh, working today. Um, and I, I really re- can recommend the record um, very highly. Um, and I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I will listen to that. I wanted to ask you, because with your recent album, there was it involved a lot of heartbreak and then every interview I was like, people are asking you about that heartbreak. And I was like, was there at a point where you were like, can we just not fucking talk about the heartbreak? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I wouldn't want to keep talking about this, but like, it's part of the, yes. it's part of the job, but it's also like, fuck, yeah. I've moved on. Like, can we fuck off? <laughs> that is the case with everything. I mean, everything about what I do is so profoundly embarrassing is the thing. Um, 
you know, I mean, I, 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 for whatever reason, feel this compulsion to make, um, a sort of emotional and highly autobiographical music. I think that the way that I, I, as a very relational person, someone who sort of wants to connect with others above all, it stands to reason that I would want to do that in my music as well. And so I write songs about human relationships and I write, write songs about, um, what it feels like to love and lose those connections. That's who I am. It's what I do. It's fine. But it's like, yeah, it's fucking embarrassing. It's like (laughs) to have to, to have to like, I want to share those parts of myself in song. Right. Like that's, and like I said before, you know, like my art is the way that I wish that I could interface with the world. And then when it comes to like, having to sort of then talk about it, it becomes, there's like a layer of complication there that is inevitable, but it's not necessarily like the way that I want the thing to be received. It's sort of like a necessary evil. And it can be very nice. Like I'm really enjoying this conversation and this is a delight, Um, but they're not all, (laughs) and even when they're good, it's still like, yeah, it's like you're just putting this like very, fragile and um uncomfortable and vulnerable part of yourself on display in a way that is um yeah it's hard not to feel a little bit unsafe or like self-conscious or and and yeah the word I keep coming back to is embarrassing it's just embarrassing but that's the thing right I mean like the thing that people connect to in that in this type of music and maybe in art at large is like, they want to see themselves. They want to see the parts of themselves that, um, that like reflected in another person. Um, and so in many ways I think, you know, music is just kind of the medium, but the thing that I really do is I'm willing to sort of like get up in front of myself in the world and be like, here I am. Um, and I think it's hard to do that. And I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for anyone who is willing to give it a try. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, it's horribly terrible. Like I, cause I've done that. I've done it in different manners, but I just remember reading Spalding Gray is in high school. Have you ever read or watched any Spalding Gray? Mm-hmm. And just seeing that, I'm just like, holy fuck, this guy just talked about, told a story about him literally fucking the ground. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I was just like yeah. blown away that someone could be that just like, this is mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. And like, I found that like, I was like, I want to be that. I don't want to fuck the ground, but I want to. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you do. That's Thank fine. You. I mean, I will judge you. Mother earth is I, a beauty. I, I fuck the ground. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean like, that's the, can't be choosers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But that's like um, another sort of sense of, I think people, the sexual sexual freedom expressing because we're such a repressed fucking society mm-hmm, in such mm-hmm, regards, mm-hmm. and I think that's oh, why yeah. I, that was so jarring to me because I was like, I remember like hanging out in Chicago when people first started openly admitting they masturbated, and I was like, what? We don't talk like what? no one. Yeah, like you can make yeah. fun of that for that, and then it yeah. was like to see people embrace what they do was like such a freeing. It was great. Yeah, I still well, don't I mean, masturbate. <laughs> just to be clear just to be clear just so we're all never. clear never never certainly no. not 
Um, yeah, I mean, to bring it out into the light, right. It's like, that is, um, I think more than anything, if like, if you're going to say that there's a job of the artist and it's true in comedy, it's true in music, it's true in anything. It's like to bring these things out into the light, everyone wants to see that, but very few people are brave enough to actually do it. And for me, it's like, I think it's one of the reasons why I'm proud of this record is because I think I, I was able to do that more than I ever have. And it makes me realize how much further I still have to go. Um, and I, but like, there's only one, like it's, it's, I'm, what I'm trying to do now is, is love myself into deeper and deeper, um, levels of openness because, because I've, I've, I feel like I've struggled a lot with shame generally speaking, and shame makes you want to hide. Um, and I think that my response to that has been to sort of like try and punish myself or absolve myself, like for example, through work or through like projecting an illusion of goodness to the world. Um, where, you know, thinking that if I do that, if I just like can perfect myself and optimize myself and work really, really hard, then I can like outrun my shame. Um, but what I've learned this year is that you can't outrun shame. You can only like love yourself through it. And, you know, as corny as that sounds, I think that like, it's not just about wanting to feel better and wanting to sort of like be less inhibited. It's also about wanting to be a better artist and a better human being. Because I, I do think that like I show up and I'm able to be more honest about my internal landscape when I'm not consumed by shame, or I show up for the people in my life that I care about when I'm not, when I have more to give, I have more to offer. Um, but I think I was going at it from this like punishing sort of like, like trying to work my way around it or achieve my way around it where it, when in reality, like it was about like accepting myself and loving myself and like accepting the parts of myself that I maybe I'm the most ashamed of. God and damn. then like telling everyone about them. <laughs> shame is just, a, it's yeah. funny because I had a conversation with a friend yesterday about shame and he has come to terms with that he has ADHD. And then of course, when he was describing it, I was like, do I have fucking ADHD? And then like, but yeah, he's- I, have that too. I have the same thing. I have the same thing where every time I hear someone describe like a condition of some kind that they've been diagnosed with, I'm like, that sounds like me. Yeah. But there was, a, there's a lot of shame involved, which is like, and he's yeah. like, you know, I would do these things and it's like, and it's like, why the fuck are we so burdened by shame? It's such a, it's so ingrained in our, culture or uh, you know, fucking Puritans. I wish I could go back in time mm-hmm. and fucking slap mm-hmm. all of them, but it's like... Blow up blow up the Puritans, yeah. I'm with yeah, it. blow them up would be great. Yeah. And they believed that eating a good meal led to sex, and I was like, yes, it does, but you... So I guess they suppose <laughs> <Often>. it... <laughs> but I was like, to, to like, boy, what, what did you guys do? Just like eat bland oatmeal and like stare off in this... Like, what the fuck life is that? And it's yeah. dictated us, our culture to such a fucking crazy degree yeah i mean and that's the thing to sort of like i think that's where it starts getting really poisonous is where because pleasure is such an important part of the human experience and there's so much guilt and shame around experiencing pleasure in all of its forms but when you start to deny yourself the pleasure of, of being in a relationship with another person or like being sexual with another person or with yourself or like 
eating a delicious meal or like whatever sensory pleasures there are around, like that plants the seed of a poison that like starts to become everybody else's fucking problem, you know? And like to sort of like accept that you deserve to feel good and that it actually makes you a better person. If you allow yourself these, these like simple pleasures and joys um, that you got, you'll have more to offer and more to give and more to share with others. And even just by example, you know, like living as an example of the way that you think people should ideally live and like, um, you know, allowing yourself to be expansive costs others nothing. But I think for a while, that part of myself that really wanted to connect and be accepted and be welcomed and be like part of a group my, my way of ensuring that that was always going to happen was capitulating or, or like trying to keep myself smaller or not risk offending anyone or not risk rocking the boat, like classic people pleaser shit. Um, and I think so much of it is like about surrounding yourself with the people who like want you to be the expansive person that you are. Yeah. I mean, I'm just grateful I was able to go to a city and experience that. But there's so many people who are stuck in there. And I feel, I mean, I have some trans friends and they came, come from small. And it's just like, fuck, man, to to overcome that and to move to a major city and to find and be. I followed this trans activist on Instagram, uh, Jeffrey Marsh. And boy, oh boy, do they just, every video is just like, fuck. Like, we all grow up and not we, everyone, but, you know, everyone has their challenges. And that's, and, but I'm like, to to grow up trans in a world that's still just not, still doesn't get, it's just like, I I, I highly suggest watching Jeffrey's videos because they're just, they have said things that I, I, I'm just like, wow, like that effect, that relates to me and I'm not yeah. even in the same struggle. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, I think it is one of the most profoundly and then speakably, speakably brave things that a person can do in this world is to allow yourself to be who you are, yeah. even though you know that you're, it basically opens you up to like this, this othering, this, um, from, that's really just a, a result of other people's fear and other people's shame, you know, but like yeah. that is, that is the energy we need to transform this world. You know, and it is, and I do think that like, and look, like, even as, as you're talking about it, like putting that energy out into the world, it has, it, it carries itself, it ripples and it trickles down into so many areas that, you know, people can't see, like you, you can't necessarily be assured of your impact. Um, but, you know, I think if you show up and are brave and like act as an example to the best of your ability of like how you believe a human should be in the world. And I do believe that like that makes a difference because that, that reaches people, even if it's just the people in your immediate vicinity, like that matters, like it has an impact. Um, and we can't always be or expect ourselves to be the, the absolute best, most perfect versions of ourselves all the time. And that's not it either, you know, like a big part of it too, is just like allowing yourself to fail, allowing yourself to be human, allowing yourself to be a mess sometimes. Like, and like, I, that's another thing that I think about too, that, um, you know, that holding ourselves to the standard of perfection, um, scares me because what I think 
is required of us in this moment is an ability to admit when we are have been wrong or when our opinions or ideas are evolving and to sort of like create a space where people can feel welcomed to that process rather than othered and shamed. Because if you shame someone for their belief, they're just going to double down on it. Like, and, and so I think a lot of the discourse that happens specifically in these like digital non-real spaces scares the shit out of me because if there's, there's no space for evolution and growth and like restorative justice, which is like what we so desperately need in this world. Um, but it's, it's hard. It requires a certain amount of bravery. Yeah. I got nothing to follow that with. I was, it was <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.